some days just feel like times of resignation. Now, I don't mean resignation as in turning in your two weeks notice at the office, although there are certainly some of those. But I'm talking about days when you're maybe going after a goal or you're trying to accomplish something and it leads to this is the best it's going to get and you start to give up. And you think, you know what, if God is actually there, God is no longer working. So what's the point to any of it at all? Ever have one of those days like that? It's often been said that the darkest time is always right before the daybreak. But there are those days and there are those seasons where that just seems like a pointless platitude. I can certainly understand the connection in that, in that thought. If God is not there, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Why are we striving for something? What if the words of Psalm 121 were actually true that say this, He, God, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. What if that were actually true, even when we can't see it? How might that idea change our perspective? Well, in today's story that we're going to look at, the situation looks like one of pure hopelessness. The characters have nothing left. All their securities, all their hopes and dreams have basically been exhausted. They have resigned themselves to living as outcasts for the rest of their lives. And yet God, working behind the scenes, writes a completely different story for these two characters, for these two women. The story comes... It's really a a neat story. It's four chapters long. We're only going to scratch the surface with the intro. But this comes out of Ruth, the first 14 verses of the story. Let's check it out. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab. He and his wife had two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. There were Ephrathites in Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the women were left without her two sons or her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law, from the country of Moab, for she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband, Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. 
Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Again, I'm only scratching the surface with the intro to this story. It's, but I really recommend reading the entire thing. It's four chapters. It's maybe 20 minutes at the most leisurely pace tops. But much of the connection that this story has with our stories comes from understanding the culture in which it's taking place. Because in many ways, it's different than our own. See, males were considered the pillars of, of the culture back in biblical times. Yet our story is going to start with three main characters, all of them female. Now, don't shoot the messenger about this, but they're set up and resigned to the hard times that are coming. See, when Israel, the situation's going on where Israel has been turning away from God. As we see, the book of Judges comes right before this one starts up. And Judges is kind of this ping pong match of people disobeying God and God saving them. And then they disobey again. God saves them again. And we see at the very last verse uh, in Judges 21, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. And in that kind of situation, famine has struck the land. And Naomi and Elimelech, husband and wife, they move to Moab, an area that is traditionally Israel's enemy. They're coming from from Judah, which is uh, one of the split kingdoms from Israel, from God's country, going into enemy territory, essentially. And they have two sons who marry Moabite women, uh, Orpah and Ruth. And while they have resigned to life in this foreign land, at least Naomi has the security, if I can call it that, of having family males around her, her husband, her two sons, I get it, an incredible theme to go to when it comes to Mother's Day. But, you know, it's, it's looking okay until Naomi's husband and sons all die. And now she's got nobody. She's in a foreign land, no security, no males to take care of her, no um, job prospects, no, the family line is now dead. She's got nobody but her daughters-in-law. And... As things are hopeless, she decides she's going to return to her homeland, go back to Judah, knowing she'll probably be a nobody there. Again, no husband, no sons, no name to carry on. She's too old to remarry. She's too old to to try this thing again. And while she has remained faithful to the Lord, she's basically resigned that God has walked out on her. As she probably meets some old friends as she returns to her homeland, they, they probably recognize her even after all these years. And they say this in uh, verses 20 and 21. She said to them, probably some of her old friends, Call me no longer Naomi, which means sweet. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? See, Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, are start off trying to make the journey with her trying to, to leave Moab and go back to Judah with her. And Naomi, against her own needs, tries sending them back. She's like, go back to your families. You still have a chance at a good life. You still have a chance. You're young. Get to, a chance to get married, to have a family, to continue your family line amongst your own people and your own culture. She's like, I can't offer you that, least of all in my own homeland. She's in a bad spot. No doubt. She's lonely for sure. And she knows it's only going to get worse. She probably is the last two people 
in the world who will care about her. And for her sake, she'd probably love to have Orpah and Ruth with her. So why would I emphasize her decision? Because while Orpah chooses to return, she says goodbye to Naomi and goes back to, you know, stays in her homeland, Ruth clings to her. Now at this point, Ruth isn't a believer. Each land was known for having their own gods and there wasn't a lot of cross-believing going on. Like, why would I believe in your gods? Why would I expect you to believe in mine? And she realized, and Tim Keller points out how when Ruth sees Naomi willing to give up the relationship with her daughters-in-law in order to give them the chance at a better life, she sees a sacrificial love and realizes that's unknown in her Moabite religion. She says, in essence, I don't want my gods. I want yours. She says in verse 17, Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. I had said a few weeks ago how there is a big difference between the terms God, usually small g, which we could really define as anything, and Lord. And uh, Ruth says, may the Lord, may Yahweh, may your specific God do thus to me. Had Ruth gone back to her, her gods, she might have had a nice life. She could have probably had a husband and had a family as Naomi had tried to persuade her to do all the things that were mentioned before. But she returns the sacrificial favor to Naomi. She's willing to leave her land to leave her family, to leave her religion, says, I don't want any of that. She leaves the prospect of a good life and is willing to probably suffer obscurity or worse as the story goes on and you read about what uh, one of the upcoming characters ends up doing for her or saving her from. All of this so she can be with Naomi. It sounds like maybe one other character in the Christian story. Somebody who had it all, who left a throne to be born in some no-name town to no-name parents in a no-name cave. The connection, it's not just a parallel. It's actually an intersection. And while I don't want to summarize like some, you know, make a, a Reader's Digest version out of a story of such serendipity, but Ruth does eventually find a husband in a man of solid, solid integrity, a man named Boaz. Now, he is a relative of Naomi, a kinsman redeemer, it's called. Somebody who, it's a title that basically, functionally speaking at least, it allows him to marry Ruth and reestablish the family line that was lost when her husband had passed away. Who'd have thunk it? That in a situation of complete desperation, situation of famine, where will we find food, that Naomi's God would still be at work. How? Well, let's go to a part in the Bible that we often, even as Christians, we will often glance it over and just skip it. It comes on Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. Here it goes. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obad by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. 
what is this all talking about with these random names and genealogy? goes back to the very first verse of Matthew 1, where it says this, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now here's the thing. In 51 generations of genealogy, there's a reason we often skip these first 18 verses. 51 generations of a male-dominated society, only five women are mentioned. And one of them happens to be a widow from the enemy land of Moab named Ruth that God used to continue the family line that would lead ultimately to Jesus Christ. So Naomi and Ruth were ready to pack it in. No husband, no kids to offer any security for them. Every evidence to make them think the Lord had completely abandoned them, yet the God behind the scene was hard at work, preparing them for a legacy, or preparing them a legacy that was going to last millennia. It's yet one more story that you cannot make up even if you tried. Honestly, does life have you in a race where just you just wish you could see the finish line? Where you knew that and how it was all going to come together? I get that. It's a disconcerting place to be and it feels like God is absent and you want to do anything but what I'm going to tell you right now. But that's when you need to lean into him even more. Though you may not feel like the sun will rise again, I promise you it will. Though it may feel like God is not at work in your life, I promise you he is. And though you may feel like it's not even worth it to go on, I promise you, five minutes is all you need to make it through. And then you repeat, and then you repeat, and then you repeat. Naomi and Ruth weren't the only reason, weren't the only ones in the Bible with reasons to call it quits. And each time, even when God's name isn't mentioned, God is there. That reminder is your next step for this week. To remind yourself of that each morning, God is there. Lean into him and he will hold on to you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for being a God who writes stories we couldn't even come up with if we tried. Who works things out that there, we think there's nothing but hopelessness here, nothing but despair. Thank you for loving us enough to leave all that you had in your son and to come and walk this earth and and hang on to us. Help us to cling to you, to realize that even when we think the sun ain't gonna rise again, you are still there. All this we pray in your name. Amen.